When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If that's something that you want to listen to on your reg, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple and Spotify. Rate, review, but most importantly, subscribe. Because if you do subscribe, you won't miss our shows when we drop them on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, choose your day. Our, our schedules have been a little bit hectic. This week is no exception. It is a Tuesday. It's supposed to be Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time that we go live on YouTube. Today, it's Tuesday at 6. Zach had something come up where we had to move it. It just is what it is. I've had a bunch of stuff come up. But we're here, and we're live. And so go to the A to Z Sports National YouTube channel, hit that notification bell, because then you'll be notified when we go live, and then you can pop in here, be a part of the show, comment. We love responding to the comments. It's a ton of fun. Comments have been on fire the last few weeks, because you guys are awesome. Uh, and yeah, just be a part of the show there. At Charlie underscore Bros, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach writes on the internet. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports. I think that's it. Zach had an interesting uh, few days over the weekend, just emotionally. Friday. Um, Texas Rangers, again, I've said it every single time. Family lives in Texas. Used to spend summers there with them, go to Rangers games. So I've been a Rangers fan. Um, the Rangers blow game five sky high against the Astros and I I mean I texted you and I was like why do I even watch sports why do I do this to myself please kill me Ho- Jose Altuve hit this stupid home run uh to take the lead late in that game and I wanted to jump off the roof of my house but then uh Saturday came along in Tennessee halftime up 13 points against Alabama and I'm flying high, talking to Crompton at halftime, thinking Tennessee might really pull it off in Tuscaloosa. And then they absolutely blow it in the second half of that game. And obviously, that's what we're going to talk about uh, for a pretty good chunk of today's show and then the Kentucky game too. But Tennessee blows it sky high. And then last night, the Rangers made it and uh, won twice in Houston and and laid the smack down on the Astros last night and made it to the World Series for the first time since 2011. Absolutely ecstatic. Can't believe it. Oh, sometimes good things do happen in sports, but we'll see if they can actually win the World Series. But uh, what's up, Zach? Yeah, I, I, I thought your uh, I thought your Rangers were cooked after blowing that game on a uh, me too. Uh, I, I wrote them off. They were done. So that was uh, that was pretty wild. Fun to fun to see those guys. Uh, get to the world series. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan and I, I like, I like 
to see that Jacob DeGrom, even though he has not really helped the Rangers much this year, maybe he'll maybe he'll get a ring and hopefully the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies so we can all be happy no matter who we cheer for because I don't think anybody wants to see the Phillies win. But, you know, we're, we're doing the show now because I've really just now got through finishing reading all the emails from Alabama fans that I got from the <laughs> article that I wrote about the officiating immediately after the game Saturday night. It was, yeah, maybe a, a bit of an emotional reaction at the time. That's, you know, not why Tennessee lost. I think it contributed probably to, you know, making it a little bit tougher to win that game. But yeah, anybody that watched that game could definitely see the energy and the edge from Tennessee in the second half. The play calling was all pretty, pretty bad uh, compared to the first half, which the first half was everything you could have dreamed of. And uh, just that's, that's being a Tennessee fan, right? You got to come down from that mountain sometime. It's unreal. Um, we're going to talk about the refs. We're going to talk about that Alabama game in the first segment, then the Kentucky game. Going to touch uh, maybe specifically on the the wide receivers for Tennessee and and discuss some of that, then obviously a preview prediction for Kentucky. It's a big week for Tennessee because uh, there's kind of like this week, the past week with Alabama, you know, you lose. Well, it's Alabama in Tuscaloosa. It's not the craziest thing to lose there. This week, you got to be Kentucky boy. I mean, this is and it's a not very good Kentucky team. They're they're okay, uh, but they're you know Devin Leary is not particularly good. The defense is it's you've sliced up Stoops' defenses since Heupel showed up here, and so there's there's a real expectation that you're going to win this game, and you know there's some pressure that comes along with that. So we'll we'll discuss it all. Right after I tell you about our first great sponsor, Farm Bureau Health Plans. Farm Bureau Health Plans has been serving Tennesseans for over 75 years. Much has changed in Tennessee over the years, but some has stayed the same. Farm Bureau Health Plans always valued personal relationships, especially when it comes to good health and good service. Plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for health, dental, and vision. For better coverage, better rates, or better service, go to fbhp.com. atoz We're walking to one of their 200-plus locations across the state. That is fbhp.com. atoz Farm Bureau Health Plans. Go get you in the health plan. Support them because they support us. Um, oh, Saturday was a doozy, man. Um, I had a big party at our house, and it was that first half um, was just, it, it really, I, I couldn't, genuinely could not believe it. You were up more at the half in Tuscaloosa then you were up in Neyland Stadium at halftime last year. I believe it was 28 to 20 at halftime a year ago. <laughs> and you were up 13 at the half in Tuscaloosa. And, I mean, I obviously, we, we were talking to a whole segment of our halftime show with me and Jonathan Crompton, former Vols quarterback. Go watch that every every Tennessee game day. Um, whole segment is that we talk about, you know, is Tennessee going to close it out? Yeah, will they? We talked specifically about if they're going to cover the spread, thanks to Zen Sports. Um. And we were both like, I mean, you're up by 13. Probably. You're probably going to win. Like, that's Josh Heupel's record leading like that is really, really good. And then, I mean, was this the most disastrous half of Heupel's entire tenure at Tennessee? You could have you could have been up by 26 at the half, and you would have lost. It's close to the Colorado collapse the other night. I mean, that was 29 you just three points away from that. Come on. What are we doing? I, it's, 
what were your thoughts on that, Zach? I think my thoughts at halftime of that game were they're in a good spot, but they haven't done enough. You know, they blew some chances in the red zone that really that's that's one of the biggest issues of this team that that we've seen all season to this point. They they just aren't that effective in the red zone, whether it's running the ball, uh, trying to throw the ball. They they don't they, they don't really trust Drew Milton. It doesn't seem like to throw the ball in those kind of tight quarters when the field gets smaller and the windows are tighter. Seems like they don't really trust him to, to see what, what's out there, which kind of odd to me because I feel like in those situations, I trust him a little more. It's when you got to throw the ball down the field in the middle of the field that he tends to kind of get lost or, or miss a safety that's kind of cheating a little bit or they've disguised coverage. Uh, everything being condensed there, I think Joe Milton's arm is good enough to fit it in some of those tight windows and, and to get away with maybe a mistake that that you make. Whatever the, the reason, the red zone issues were horrific. And ultimately, I think that's the biggest reason why they lost that game. Because if you're up, you know, 20, if you just or, or however the math works, if you're up 17, 20 at, at halftime, 21, I think the game feels a little different. I think you give up that touchdown right out of the half to Alabama. And look, they gashed them on that run. Uh the the touchdown there, whether or not you want to talk about the the hold on Tyler Barron or the hands to the face that could have been called, that was still a big play where they were completely lost in coverage. Come here if it was Tamari McDonald or somebody got turned around there at the safety position that just did not cover down the field. You give up that explosive play. If you're up 21, I feel like you can kind of weather that. But I feel like that that gave Alabama some instant momentum, obviously, and it just Tennessee was on their heels. And I think you kind of saw in their faces like oh no this is Gainesville all over again and from there just the entire tone of the game changed and I think I just think if you're up 21 and that cuts it to 14 you're like we're still in control of this game they still have confidence and I feel like that extends to the coaching staff as well by the way because I thought the first half pretty much all the play calls I mean there were some you'd like to have back of course but for the most part, there were some good play calls, and it worked. And, and and they put points on the board, and they moved the ball down the field. That second half, the play calling was horrendous. I tell Josh Hype, I know Josh Hype doesn't really like people questioning his play calling or, or Joey Hasley or however that interaction's going, but that was probably his worst called half of at least at Tennessee that I've ever seen. And he's just as responsible for that loss to me. And that's not like I'm not out on Josh Hype or anything by any means. Like that would be crazy talk. I a huge fan of the guy. He just had a bad half for whatever reason. He just, he wasn't coaching at a championship, uh, whatever they like to say, a championship level. Uh, but that, that to me was, was the key, not converting on those red zone opportunities in the first half, I think changed the entire way that game was played because Alabama was just one score away from being right back in the game and being able to take the lead. And once that happened, it just snowballed on Tennessee, just like it did at Florida. The, Play calling, well, I don't know. There's a lot of good points here in the comments. This, I pretty much agree with this in a general sense. Jason says the officials were horrendous, but not the reason. He said intensity and focus mixed with bad play calls and decisions, and then you add in the bad officiating. That's that's how I felt. A lot of people have been saying it's the officiating. It was the, the officiating was terrible. The officiating was terrible. I. I I, I think, I mean, you even saw friggin' Dan Wolken at USA Today was like, boy, Tennessee has been on the short end of the officiating stick today. Um, you know, that was so not you, easy for him to type. Exactly. <laughs> so you know it's bad when that is happening. Uh, it was really, really bad. But 27 points, 
the officiating is not the reason you gave up 27 points and that you blew a, a 13 point lead. That's no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that because the officiating was bad in the first half and you were up by 13. You, you were up 20 to seven and the officiating sucked then too. So I, I, that's your way I to put it. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I give validity to the fact the officiating sucked, but I'm not going to play into the, Oh, it was everything that sunk Tennessee. No, no, no. Tennessee sunk Tennessee. It was horrendous in that second half. The, and then, I mean, Jason follows that up. And he says the play calling in the red zone is awful. 200%. In short, in short yardage in general. Fourth down, shotgun, short yardage. Just kill me. That is the absolute most infuriating thing that, I mean, the, the history of that with Tennessee goes back to Butch Jones. I mean, that was a Butch Jones special right there, running out of the shotgun on fourth and short and getting stuffed. And Heupel, I, I mean, you just... My guy, you don't have the dudes. You don't have earth movers. You don't have like on on one of those. I don't remember which one. Like you got you got moved. Like you got just wrecked on one now, of those. One of them, Jacob Warren and Jalen Wright didn't block anybody. Yeah. Nobody. I, I, yeah, awful. I and and so you you combine that with the bad bad play calling in in the red zone where you just uh I I don't know. Somebody else said this too. There's a bunch of good comments here. Um but somebody said, maybe it's Tim. Yeah, here it is. Timothy said, if teams stop our run game in the red zone, we can't score. Yeah, because they, they don't trust Joe to to make serious throws. The only thing that they'll run is a fade where it's kind of like our guy can catch it or nobody can catch it. And that's, you you don't have guys that are coming down with a 50-50 ball. You don't have that guy on the wings right now. That doesn't, it just doesn't exist. And teams know that fade, that fade route's coming. Kool-Aid McKinstry yeah. had the most perfect coverage that's I think I've do. ever seen on one of those throws. It was it's so predictable. Throw the ball to Dylan Sampson in space out there and just see what happens. That's what I do. Sure. Anything but what they're doing. I <laughs> Billy Bobby says, I thought Randy <laughs> Sanders was back. I, I don't know if it was that bad, but man, I it was that bad. Let's be honest. It, I mean, geez, it was just really bad. Uh, a lot of that stuff where I just go like, what, what are you seeing to make you think that this is the call? I mean, I'm I'm not the head coach here, but I look back a year ago and I go, you had some games where I thought, I mean, you're you're the premier offensive mind in all of college football. It was the Alabama game where, where I just went, this guy can't be stopped on offense. This is unbelievable. And, and you know, full fullback runs with a with a tight end and you know, going under center. They they would go under center and fall forward with the quarterback last year. Where has that gone? What are we doing? Why has that gone the way of the dodo bird for this offense? It's not like that. You know, Joe Milton is even bigger than Hinden Hooker. I don't get it. I just like legitimately. I I am I'm speechless as far as that goes. I, I don't know what the explanation is. I don't get it at all. But he, here's what I gotta say to Hypo. Fix it. Fix it. I don't know what you gotta do, but don't do this anymore. Do something different. Surely at a certain point that you know it, it's the, the game humbles you and you gotta. You got to switch up what you're doing. Uh, Honestly, I mean, it, it was the first time that I felt like Hypo was trying to not lose a game or not, you know, not make a mistake. Like he lost his edge. And instead of attacking and just going and taking the win from Alabama, he was trying to preserve, you know, their ability to get the win. And that's not how they won last season. They won by being the aggressor, by dictating the way the game was played. And they did that in the first half. And that's what gives me encouragement that that this team is not, you know, they're not a bad team. They're five and two. You know, they've lost two games that they could have won. 
And especially in this Alabama game, you saw half a football where they were the better team against the best coach in college football. Again, like for the first six quarters in a row, last season going into the first half of this game in Tuscaloosa, Josh Heupel outcoached and, and out-steamed and out in Tennessee outplayed Alabama. And then that second half, it just – everything fell apart. And I think, you know, it starts with Heupel and the tone that he sets in that game by calling the plays – by putting trust in his players, and and we can feel like we can feel it when we're watching the game. When we're watching this game, we're saying they don't trust Joe Milton to throw this ball over the middle. They don't trust Joe Milton to go out there and make a play right now. They're trying to throw it to the perimeter. They're trying to maybe get him out on a run, a quarterback run, and, and pick up yards that way. They're trying to run the ball. But you could just feel in those moments last year when they would trust Hendon Hooker, and they'd let the ball fly. And I don't think that's you know a lot, I know there's a lot of talk about the quarterbacks, but you can't really put all that on Joe because when he got the opportunities in the first half against Alabama, he made things happen. You know, it wasn't perfect, obviously, and it's still Alabama at Alabama. It's a tough place to go win even when you do have a really good team, whoever you are. Uh, it can be done, obviously. Texas showed us that, but still a tough place to go. But the the trust not being there in Joe, I, I don't know the, how, how you can criticize Joe on that at this point because he's not getting no. the chance in a lot of these situations. I mean, this, especially that first half, this is probably the best game he's played at Tennessee. That first half was was really good, genuinely. One, what was it, 6, 16, 22 for 175 or something? Yeah. Like, it was really solid. And then and then he's he that was his best running game, too. I think he ended up with 59 yards on the ground and – um, he answered the call on that. They've been hypo has been challenging really him to to pick, use his legs more, and there's still some situations where I'd like to see a little little more from him. But I thought you saw the effort and a little better awareness, and he was he was willing to take it and run, get the first down, and lower his shoulder and make sure that he picked up enough yards. Like he took the criticism and he got better in that area, and you have to respect that, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, prompted uh, in our in our post game. Man, he kind of roasted Heupel. Um, and, you know, he was just saying that the offense is just overly simplistic. You're not you're not catching anybody off guard with anything at all. There's just no switching it up, getting people on their heels, doing anything with the offense as it is. And you did that so constantly last year. Now, a huge part of that was that you had re- elite wide receivers. Straight up, I mean, Jalen Hyatt could just burn, and and that you know that came up huge time and time again, uh, and and made it easier on other wide receivers that you had too. But th- there was that element of it. But there there really was. It seemed like imagination, creativity. R- Randy says there's no offensive re- imagination with this team. And then Timothy says was Alex Golish better than Joey Halsey? I still go back was <laughs> was Alex Golish and Josh Heupel better than Halsey and Josh Heupel. Yeah, I think part of that I think part of that is you know it's a it's a group effort. It wasn't just Golish up there calling every single play. No. They were they but him and Heupel and Glenn Ellerby, they all worked really well together and Hosley was a part of that as well. Golish was in the booth up there and he was he was relaying what he saw and maybe he's seeing things a different way than Joey Hosley is. And Joey Hosley's up there with the first-year tight ends coach, graduate assistants, an analyst. There's a lot of inexperience 
when it comes to calling a game in that box and kind of being the guy. And I think maybe Dolish just maybe had maybe his experience, maybe it's just him and Heupel's connection. I don't know because, I mean, obviously Heupel and Hosley go way back, but we cannot make determinations on play calling abilities based on Wikipedia pages and how long people have worked together because that doesn't come anywhere close to telling the whole story. I think, you know, personally, I just think maybe Dolish saw things in a different way and was able to communicate that to Heupel in a way that, led to maybe some more creativity or willing to take some more risk, whatever the case, I do think that that communication and that connection has played a part in, in some of this. I mean, it's not the only thing, but I do think all of these things combined has, has led to some of it. I, where, where'd that comment go? Yeah. Kenny, Kenny says, look at Missouri. They have studs a wide receiver and it makes their QB look good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Brady cook is, is like a real world beater, but, boy that game's looking dicey right now uh you know there's they're seven and one at the moment that not not that they've really won any real standout games so far but they've won all their games <laughs> you know so except for lsu they kind of got their butt kicked by lsu but still that that one is looking really really dicey and i think that's that's exactly right like there, there is kind of truth if if hypo is going to run it in this really bland way you got to have elite dudes that are gonna make plays and you know I, again it just doesn't make sense because they didn't run it in this completely bland way um last year it it was all the structure was still there it was very much based around the, the fundamentals that they're basing it around this year and they did a lot of the same stuff but just with better players but i i mean you don't have as good of players you, you gotta do something you gotta do something that is different and off the map and I, I would guess that that comes from the fact that it's everything's about tempo. Everything's about, you know, fee, feeling and the decision making there. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where I to really part go of with it, that, but it's tough. Part of it, part of it's the chemistry of the team in general, because, you know, we talked about the play calling, but it's not like they're calling in traditional plays. It's not like when you go play Madden and you're choosing, you know, a sweep to the right or a post route or a slant route or something. There's a lot of options. There's these choice routes, and that's what Jalen Hyatt was in Hinden Hooker and Ramel Keaton, who seemingly has kind of taken a step back. He had a great moment, you know, before the before the first half ended and a great catch on Saturday. But he's had a lot of tough moments this season, too. And I don't know if that's the chemistry with him and Joe. I mean, that doesn't account for the drops, but you got to be able to read these defenses and the leverage of these DBs and understand where to take these routes. And for whatever reason, that's not translating the same way it did last season. And I don't know if it's trying to take away the outside leverage, try to take away some of these deep shots. Some of the deep shots have been there. They just haven't connected. But it just doesn't seem like everybody's on the same page this year. So the play calling is a part of it, but it, it, there's more that goes into it than just, hey, what calls being played from the sideline or called from the sideline because that play is not necessarily like – okay, you got two reads, you're going here, here, and you're taking it, you're running. There's a lot that goes into that. There definitely is. And we'll we'll see if any adjustments get made. Obviously, big challenge coming up at Kentucky. Uh, Mitch says, man, you'll have to quit changing times for the show. It's confusing me as bad as the Vols football team. Sorry, Mitch. We just, life, dude. Life has happened a lot this, this yeah. season and with stuff. If the further away we are from the Alabama game, the more objective I feel like we can, or at least I can look at it as far as the officiating and what role that played in it, because that was a frustrating 
part of it. Like we, for sure. I'm not, I'm not denying yeah. that, but we've talked about, I think everybody's taught that to death at this point over the last couple of days. And I think most of us agree that it, like Charlie said, the officiating wasn't good in the first half and you're up by 13, you know, the, the fair catch thing was frustrating, right? You catch the ball in the four, you know, four yard line and somebody signals for a fair catch and you don't get the 23, you get it four because of that. Well, you still have a chance there to drive down the field and you call three straight non-great plays where it seems like you just kind of gave up on that drive right after Alabama had scored. And to stay in that game, you had to go put some points on the board there. You at least had to flip field position and give your defense a chance and they did none of that. So, you know, it was a tough spot, but you got to put that behind you and go go win that drive, and they didn't. 100%. Um, and, yeah, as far as the ref goes, I mean, J- James kind of says here, we need immediate accountability for refs. There's a lot that could be done, and nobody does anything. Nobody's ever going to do anything. There, There's no, you know, everybody's making their money, and so, you know, why, why make the game better and <laughs> do things that would help? Uh, but... Yeah, I th- any anything else with the Alabama game before we shift gears uh, to Kentucky week and and some of you know sort of how how can Tennessee avoid uh, getting beat twice here, Zach? Yeah, it's just it's just frustrating because it, it could end up being you know two years really before you go back to Tuscaloosa depending on how this SEC schedule shakes out. You know you're going to play them at home next season. And Alabama might not be your permanent opponent if they go to this one and seven deal. So it might be 2026 before you get another shot to go down there and and possibly beat them in Tuscaloosa. And yeah, that's a long way away. Who knows what everything looks like by then? And that was your best chance to get them since 2009, maybe 2015. And to, to see that when you know that chance and and the chance to beat Florida to miss on both of those opportunities to make this season really mean something. I think you got to win out and and not that. Like you go eight and four, win a bowl game, you're nine and four, it's still a decent season considering everything that's happened and you reload and hopefully go back into the next season with some championship aspirations. But if you want to kind of remember this season on a positive note, you gotta you gotta find a way to go beat Georgia at home and and win the rest of these games and get out of there with ten wins somehow, if you can do that. So it's it, it really makes the margins pretty slim here as far as that goes the rest of the year. Yeah, it really does. Oh, we didn't talk about this. Yeah, James brings up the fair catch. What the, what the hell was that? The, the fair catch, not fair catch, sticking your arm out. Whatever. I've seen. I've seen some people say that if you, if somebody calls for a fair catch and then they try to return it, that the ball goes back to where the returner caught the ball. Uh, I think he's saying there maybe should be a penalty there. You get the 20 instead of the 25. I'm not, I haven't seen the rules, so I'm not a hundred percent sure on where the ball be the ball being spotted. That did seem kind of fishy to me. That if you know, if you call for a fair catch inside the 25, you're getting the ball at the 25 no matter what. Yeah, and they're, exactly. they're translating the rule during that game as if you call for a fair catch and then you still try to return it, then the ball goes back to where you caught it, which I've I've never heard of any of that before Saturday, so I can't really speak super intelligently on what exactly the rule is there. It's something you're not going to see a lot. When I wrote about it earlier, it's kind of like getting pulled for going 46 into 45. I mean, that's how I felt about it. <laughs> uh, well, whatever it was, it was annoying. Um, quick super chat. Timothy says, Hypel said in an interview that they practice under center, but they won't utilize it and that a sports reporter needs to ask that question. 
of Heupel. I agree. Neither of us go to the press conferences. We well, they, they used they, it they last season. Yeah, uh, times. it's it's completely confounding. I mean, we we've both already been saying it here. Why are they doing that? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I wish I knew. If I knew the answer to that question, I'd probably be on the staff of this football team. So, um, all right, let's move on to this Kentucky game. This I already mentioned it. Kind of a not pressure packed game per se, but one that is without a doubt one that you cannot lose. You just you can't. You cannot lose this game. And we'll talk about it right after I tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That is why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And when it comes to options, with HelloFresh, more is more. That's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items to choose from every week. And a busy fall schedule doesn't always leave you with time to spare. And with HelloFresh, you don't need to spend all evening in the kitchen whipping up a wholesome meal with their quick and easy recipes and 15-minute meals. You can get a tasty dinner on the table in less time than it takes for takeout and delivery. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Vols and use code 50Vols, 5-O-V-O-L-S. Uh, and you'll get 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. That is HelloFresh.com slash 50Vols, 5-0-V-O-L-S, and then promo code 50Vols for 50% off plus 15% off your next two months. That is HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Great stuff. Had it. Really tasty. Really easy. Get your hands on some. Now to this Kentucky game. Let's be completely honest up front. <clears throat> If you lose this game, it's a disaster. I, I'm not going to pull any punches. Period. That's... I, I was talking to somebody... I guess it was last night. I think during that Rangers game, actually. Somebody was uh, asking me, you know, when... When should they bring Nico in? And I said... my This was before the season ever started. I said it, it would have to be the either an injury to Joe or the train flying way off the tracks. Losing to Kentucky, especially if you lose by... A considerable amount of points. That's to me. That's way off the tracks. I mean that that was the end of Jeremy Pruitt. It was when he lost to Kentucky. Now that was in Neyland Stadium, and he got completely blown out. It's a little bit different, but you know, you just this is just one you can't lose. You've lost to Kentucky what three times in the last forty years? You can't lose this one. Period. And they're, you know, the quarterback is not as good as they wanted him to be, but their defense is pretty decent. Their running game is pretty decent. They ran for like nine thousand yards. Um against uh against florida and so i this is just big that this one you don't want to undersell this game and just be like oh well it's kentucky we're gonna beat kentucky yeah that, that may be may well be the case but boy if you lose it's gonna be disaster uh what are what's your initial feeling right now zach yeah this is that game where you you know the way that the way that Tennessee fans feel after Florida and Alabama, like kind of what I just talked about, where it's that was your chance to go win in Gainesville. It was a good chance to go win in Knoxville. That that might be how Kentucky fans feel right now, even though this Kentucky team's not not that great. But they see a Tennessee team that hasn't played well on the road. A Tennessee team that's kind of on the ropes. Not you know after losing that game to Florida, not playing well against Texas A and M, blowing the game against Alabama. Kentucky probably thinks this is a pretty winnable game. So. 
you've got to go make them feel the same way that, that we as Tennessee fans felt after this Alabama game. And it's, it's like you said, you just you don't lose there. You don't typically lose to them. Jeremy Pruitt beat some of their better teams. Uh, Josh Heupel's, you know, he's already won there in 2021. It's not like you won in Gainesville and, and Tuscaloosa in 2021 and then went and lost this season to worse teams. Uh, you just – you can't, especially with Will Levis not being there, who did play well in 2021 in that game, and it was kind of a shootout. Uh, it, it's it's just one of the – like you said, you cannot lose there. And it, it bothers me that it's at night because it feels like, you know, that that's when Tennessee kind of gets got, uh, especially in those night road games. And the SEC hasn't really done – Tennessee any favors when it comes to scheduling with that stuff and I'm not like conspiracy it's just kind of the way it works out TV has a lot to do with that so it's just it's who people want to see and I think and I think Florida and Arkansas are playing it is it Florida and Arkansas are coming up there I think it's playing at noon for like one of Florida's like blackout games or special games and it's like how does that happen how do they get to go down there in the swamp and play at noon and Tennessee has to do it at you know seven o'clock and then you got to go play Kentucky, even though it's not the same type of atmosphere. Everybody's kind of getting fired up for Tennessee right now, especially after all the, the talk from last season and all the bravado and face it. We as Tennessee fans kind of don't make it easy. You know, we kind of invite other fan bases to come at us like that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a hostile crowd, so it won't be easy. And uh, it, it is one that I think, I kind of lean towards Tennessee. I haven't really decided for sure how, how I think it's going to play out yet, but it does make me nervous. Like not like the South Carolina game last season, because I, I did have a little nervousness about that just because Tennessee, I, I mentioned it kind of people kind of, I never said Tennessee was going to lose, but Tennessee doesn't play well in Columbia. Right. You know, I kind of have that same feeling like and that could happen up there. Yeah. It, that South Carolina game felt like a trap. I, I don't know that I feel that way about this Kentucky game right now because I like I sort of feel like Eric feels right now. He says Tennessee has only lost to the Hello Kitties three times since 1985. Kentucky's one dimensional. Balls are angry and will take care of business. I think Tennessee is very highly motivated right now. They got so many times this year already. It feels like, though, that's true. That is true. Um, But the some of those things have come true where we said, you know, it. Tennessee will be coming off a bye week and gets Texas A&M. I think they'll be prepared and yada, yada. Well, and they, they were. They went on, they beat Texas A&M. Um, and then, it, you know, I guess I think about it like last year, I was kind of concerned about that Kentucky game because I thought Kentucky might come out with their hair on fire and just really play desperate ball. And I, I remember feeling that way. And then, you know, we thought it was a trap game too. Yeah. Of the oh, that, game. Yeah, that one felt like an, a total trap. And obviously you went out there and you just beat their head into the pavement. Um, and so I, it, it's tough to say exactly how Tennessee will play, but I will say this, there is essentially zero history to say that, Oh, Tennessee is phased by the, you know, the great grocery store as whatever they call their stadium, the, <laughs> the, the Kroger super center, whatever it is. Who was um, it that beat them and, and printed the receipt that, that was uh, that was it Missouri? It was Missouri. Yeah, yeah. That was, was Missouri good. won by like 20. <laughs> given Missouri's, I think we've all given Missouri's social media team a lot of crap over the years. Like remember that weird Rocky Top thing they did mm. a couple of years ago and they've had some other tough moments like telling people how to cheer, but the receipt thing was good. I, I like that. Yeah, that's that's very good. Very very good. Uh I mean, <laughs> Kentucky fans I've seen they they sincerely refer to it as the Krogue 
or the crotch on Twitter. And I'm like, dog, like, no, don't, don't do that. I am not going to be calling Thompson bowling arena. The, the food city. <laughs> you know, no, that's not what I will be referring. We'll to. never refer to it as food as. city. Anything anyway. Yeah, no, it's going to be Thompson bowling. We'll, we'll never say that. Yeah. Yeah. Food city will never be brought up as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, well, Anywho, getting past making fun of the fact that a grocery store sponsors their field. Um, this this game, it, it doesn't feel trappy to me. That Missouri game, that one's setting up in a weird way in my mind. You know, it's before, right before Georgia, after UConn, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just is right. You're going to be feeling confident going there. And, uh, you know, that there's just not that here. You, you got embarrassed. You got to come out here and you got to play with your hair on fire. You, you have to be that team because like, you're better than Kentucky. Uh, you have you have superior players. You have superior coaches. And, you, you know, you've lost them three times in the last 40 years. Yada, yada, yada. We all know. And it's just not uh, not really debatable here. Now, what I think can set this team apart in this game is if they can figure out throwing the ball. Tennessee's going to run in this game. They they run against absolutely everybody. They they still went for what one fifty something like that against uh, Alabama somewhere right around there. Most of that was Joe Milton though. That's true. He ran for sixty. That Jalen is Jalen Wright point. got bottled up. I think he only ran for like twenty two yards. Yeah, but but regardless, some somebody is going to run the ball. Be it be it Joe or Jalen Wright, whoever, whoever it might be. But it's figuring out the the passing game. Now, you were writing about the wide receivers this week, Zach. wanted to have a quick conversation just to, about those dudes because it's been – disaster is a strong word, but incredibly underwhelming as far as the wide receivers go. I mean, t- take Joe Milton out of it. Like, there's been a bunch of uh, times where Joe Milton has gotten the ball right to these wide receivers, and they, they drop it like they never held a football in their life. And – you know, it, it's it's another thing that leaves you scratching your head. But uh, what were you talking about this week with these guys? Yeah, I think one of the big things that we haven't really talked about that's affected this offense, it's not just the drops. And, and obviously the loss of Brew McCoy hurts. Ramel Keaton's regression or whatever seems to be going on there. He needs to change his number back, something I'm, I'm not sure. So the fact that Dante Thornton hasn't been the guy that I think we all thought he was going to be, and I think that Josh Hype on his staff, thought he was going to be he's obviously talented he's huge six foot five he's fast we know he can run extremely fast and we had this vision of him being you know Jalen Hyatt 2.0 but maybe even more dominant not necessarily putting up the Jalen Hyatt numbers I'm, I'm not saying that that was a special season from Hyatt and I think we'll see seasons like that in the future but that's not automatic you don't just show up and do that but his ability to make some plays that Hyatt couldn't just because of his size and he was supposed to be kind of that guy in the slot that you could move around like they moved Hyatt around. And he just, not only has he not been that guy, but even when he's on the field, which is increasingly less over the last couple of weeks, even now that he's back healthy, I think he only played like nine snaps this past week. He's just not someone you can count on because he, clearly he doesn't understand the offense the way that he needs to to excel. But even when he is in position to make plays, you saw it you know, uh, on Saturday against Alabama when they're driving down the field and it felt like that's when that drive kind of stalled out a little bit and and they might have picked up a first down after that. I can't remember. 
but it felt like that's when they ended up having to settle for a field goal was that that Dante Thornton drop where he could feel the footsteps and he alligator arms he pulls them in it changed the whole tone of that drive and in that moment if he makes that catch you know I'm not going to say the game turns out differently or anything like that but Tennessee keeps that momentum that they were riding early in the game and and it was really important that they had that to keep the crowd out of the game that you know kind of put Alabama on their heels and it, it kind of sunk, you know, the offense in that moment. And not being able to count on Thornton, having McCoy out, not being able to count on Keaton. Squirrel was the only guy that, you know, you can really kind of count on, and they went away from him in the second half. You're having to play young guys that you didn't think you wanted to play yet, uh, or you didn't plan on playing yet, and Caleb Webb and Chaz Nimrod, who were still kind of learning the offense. Nathan Laycock hasn't seen the field yet because, you know, he's played zero snaps this whole season. And you look at, you know, Nick Harbour's played you know, 140 snaps at South Carolina. Carnell Tate's played 125 snaps at Ohio State. They're true freshmen. And Tennessee's got a guy that's rated, slim, you know, in their range, a little bit lower than them maybe. And you haven't been able to use him at all because this offense, you know, takes so long to learn and, and to develop that chemistry. There's just no one really there to count on. Like, it, it's – that's kind of – it's not just frustrating. It's concerning going forward. And – it makes you realize, like, hey, kind of wish Walker Merrill would have stayed around. He'd be playing a pretty big role in this offense right now if he wasn't a Wake Forest, if he would have stayed at Tennessee. And you know, I don't blame him for transferring. He saw the the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to be able to start, and he wanted that you know, chance to start. But I think you're seeing that just because you have talented wide receivers in this offense – you know, that you don't just show up and have a Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman type season. Like it, it just doesn't happen. You you've got to put in the work and you've got to really commit to learning this offense to be able to be a weapon in it. And right now, it's hard to trust any of them. Like I said, outside of Squirrel, I couldn't agree more. Frankly, I, th- I think it's well said, and it's it is just something that I I think without a doubt, if you figured that out, if that if that single element would click into place, there's a much better chance that you win out or you win every game except Georgia. I I think that that's the, the primary thing holding you back because obviously that would make teams respect respect the pass, make the your running game all that much easier, and the running game's already cooking, even with teams stacking the boxes trying to stop it. And it, it, man, it just ha- it has to be there or else you're, it's going to be, you know, Music City Bowl. <laughs> like that. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next second, or at least I want to talk about. Because, um, man, I, I, you just look at the difference that that made a year ago. And the, it, it's just everything for, for this offense. And, can they get it figured out? I am consider me what's the word there? Dubious. <laughs> I'm skeptical. I I just uh, I'm not sure. I see it, and I, I know a lot of people. Oh, Nico, give it to Nico. Nico's he can't. What's Nico gonna go do? Give these boys more talent, more focus, more hard work. Like what? He he can't go out there and make those wide receivers any better. I mean, and as good as Nico is, it, as good as we think Nico is, and as the ability, I think he has elite ability. I think Nico's going to be a great quarterback at Tennessee. I I truly believe that. But you can't assume that he knows how to 
run this offense perfectly just yet either. And if the wide receivers don't, you know, kind of like you're saying, like that's not going to, if the wide receivers aren't on the same page, it's not going to matter what quarterback's out there really. Like maybe he picks up the legs with his feet. Maybe he sees some stuff that Joe doesn't. I'm not saying that he, you know, it's possible he could be a little bit better out there, but he's not going to be at his best uh, with this current version of the Tennessee team. I just don't think that that would happen. So I don't see the point in really, you know, throwing him out there. And I think some of that's quieted a little bit, especially after that first half that Joe had against Alabama. And then you saw the play calling and you understood, okay, this really isn't all on Joe. You know, this is on some of the wide receivers. This is some of the play calling because Joe can, you know, maybe he's not going to be Hendon Hooker. Maybe he's not going to be a Heisman candidate, but he can play well enough for you to beat Alabama on the road. He can play well enough for you to be up 13. You know, maybe more if wide receivers make plays. And with the way this defense is playing, that should be enough. Well said. Again. Um, all right. Well, let's let's go to the next segment. On on that note of, uh, you know, it's a big game that you can't lose. I think this, in some sense, is going to be a little bit of a turning point because I think it's going to tell you sort of where you're headed for the rest of the season. Again, you you haven't lost a catastrophic game yet. The way that you've lost these games is catastrophic. <laughs> Make no mistake about that. And that Florida loss is, is bad because I don't think that Florida team is particularly good. Um, but you know, you still have a path. If you were to win out, you would, you'd be in a BCS bowl game, uh, at, at 10 and two and, and a, a win over Georgia. I mean, you would, you'd probably be a top 10 team at that point, close to it and, and probably make a new year six bowl game. So that's, that is still on the table and per se, uh, no, Georgia would have to lose two games in, in that case. I was going to say if Georgia, if Georgia, no, well, that's right. So if Georgia loses another game and then you beat them, <laughs> crazily, you could still uh, win the SEC East. They would have to lose to Missouri. They couldn't lose to Florida. If Florida beat them and then won out, and then you beat them and won out in Florida. God, that would be unreal, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, probably an unreal idea to be honest <laughs> I don't, yeah, like, exactly I, but the, no, but the thing that. is is it's that crazily yeah. with with five games left still on the table and with this one i mean you lose to kentucky kiss any like quote-unquote good season goodbye pretty much i i think everybody everybody will look back at this season and go yeah that just that wasn't one that we're you know super happy about but uh, with that, and those those happen, you know, it 2002, does. Yeah. 2002 was sandwiched between two pretty good years. And I think they were, you know, what, eight and four, maybe that year. It yeah. Happens. Well, uh, let's just quickly, this is gonna be a pretty, pretty quick segment, I think. But uh, let's talk about the bowl projections that Tennessee is in before we give our, our final prediction hmm. for this, uh, for this game uh, for Kentucky, because boy, there's some interesting ones out there uh, that I do not want to see happen. And I'll tell you about them right after I tell you about Zen Sports. It is, uh, where is my read? Here it is right here. It is football season. And it's time to switch to Zen Sports, the fastest growing sports book in Tennessee, changing the bonus game with their cash rewards program. And when you sign up for Zen Sports with code A to ZTN, A-T-O-Z-T-N, Earn a welcome bonus that gives you 5% cash back on your total betting volume for your first 15 days of betting. 
And then if you have friends who bet on sports, share your Zen Sports referral bonus code with them, and you will earn 3% of their betting volume betting volume for their first six months of betting on Zen Sports with no cap on how much you can earn. What are you waiting for? Stop wasting time and money on other sports books when you could be earning real cash rewards with Zen Sports. Download today on the App Store or at zensports.com, and your wallet will thank you later. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. You must be 21 or older in Tennessee to bet. That is in sports. Go download it. Uh, and in the future, you'll be able to bet on bowl games. <laughs> uh, here are some projections for Tennessee in these bowl games. This is probably the best one that I saw. The ReliaQuest Bowl in Tampa, which I guess used to be the... Outback Bowl? Outback that- Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tennessee, North Carolina in that one okay you know that probably means you went nine and three that probably means you went out and you lose to georgia i would guess yeah uh, that's because they were nine and four last time they played in it when dobbs and and then back yeah. in the day so i i think that that's where you would land the gator bowl uh this is from action sports uh this is against duke okay you know th- there's uh there's worse outcomes there duke has has a good team i think that, that'd be a tough game Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that's another one floor based. That one's in Jacksonville. Uh, and then here comes ESPN's prediction. Oh boy. <laughs> Two different predictions. Uh, both of them in the music city bowl against Maryland, which please dear God, no, uh, anything but that I never, ever, ever want to play in the Music City Bowl ever again. Don't make me. I don't want to do it. I swear to goodness. Don't make me go to that stupid bowl game again. I hate it. No. I won't do it. No. You can't make me. Uh, <laughs> Would you rather be in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis? No. You can't make me. <laughs> Just need. I I don't know exactly what, what I would want. I mean, obviously, either of those first two, I wouldn't mind that much. My goodness. I mean, the, the Music City Bowl. And to me, in light of what I was just saying about this Kentucky game, that's that's where you're headed, I think, if you lose to this Kentucky team. Because uh, I, I think if you lose to them, that Missouri game's not looking too good. And then you're, you know, that Georgia game's not looking too good. And you finish, where, where would that land you? Seven and five? I mean, you're going to beat UConn. You're going to be Vandy. But, like, man alive. Please. Please mm. don't don't do this to us. Uh, and and you know it, it might it might be inevitable if you end up losing to Georgia, Missouri, too, uh, and and going that, at that point eight and four. But oh god, anything but the Music City Bowl. I know so many Tennessee fans were just like, please release us from this this bowl hell that we're obviously it makes plenty of sense that that it's in Nashville and the place gets taken over by Tennessee fans. I've covered Tennessee in the music city bowl in 2016. Tennessee won. It was fine. You know, Titan stadium, but then also that Purdue nonsense. Uh, and you, you know, you won that game, except you, the refs took it from you. Now that one, that one, the refs took the win from you. 100%. Oh, yeah. That Austin, one, without a doubt, the rest took the win from you. Austin Stanley has the best video from that day. He was standing oh. literally at the pylon on the field 
you can hear the whistle clearly. It's yeah, there's no need to go into all that. We know Jalen Wright scored. Everybody knows he scored. Purdue knows he scored. Jeff Brown yeah. knows he scored. We get it. Yeah, I mean that that one hundred percent, but just uh, the the dually, the uh no, dually against North UNC, Carolina. Yeah. yeah, the the a call so bad that the rules of college football changed. Um, you know, and so no, no, don't make me go there. I don't think the okay. Music City Bowl, too, you know, talking about fans traveling well, of course there'd be a bunch of Tennessee fans there, but the energy would not be the same as that last Music City Bowl because, you know, the Hypo took over a program that was a disaster, got them bowl eligible. There were some exciting wins that season, you know, where their offense played really well, you know, South Carolina, Missouri, and some big plays. You could sense that something was changing in the program. If you play in the Music City this year, Bowl this year, it's, it's a letdown, and – Nobody really wants to be there. You know, there'll still be plenty of Tennessee fans there, of course, but it won't it won't be nearly the same experience. Absolutely true. Uh, I just wanted to quickly cover that because it was it made me roll. Of course, it's ESPN saying that. You know, it just made me. I mean, it's a chance. I mean, it's real, and that that's the point that I wanted to make. Yeah. Like, if you lose this Kentucky game, you're kind of staring that right in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't please don't let that happen. We're gonna give our prediction in just a second. But I, I noticed I just missed this super chat from Big Ten Jeff. Look, he paid. I read it. He said, if you're looking for in-game adjustments, Connor Stallions will be available soon. I hear. Uh, I hear he's a master at signals. Yeah, we. That Michigan situation is pretty interesting. Yeah, I saw the like one video where Ohio. I think they were playing Ohio State, maybe, and they they look to the line to change the play, and Michigan looks at it and immediately starts signaling to the air or something. And I think somebody said it was like an incomplete pass. You know, hey, my feeling on this is it is shady, and it's the same as baseball signs when you're on the field. I, I don't like electronic stuff being used to to do it, but. There's no rule that says like you have to use signals or you don't have to use signals. Like that's something you do to be more efficient in calling your game. Find a different way. Find a way to change it up. I don't know. Like same thing with baseball. There's a runner on second. You don't want to see your signs. You know before the pitch come. Change your signs. Figure it out. I don't like what the Astros did. Of course, that's you know obviously that's crossing the line. That's just blatant cheating. But uh, otherwise, like there's no you know the game of football was created. Nobody was uh, saying, hey, we should be played with sideline signals or this or that. Like, that's just this, the way that you choose to call your offense. Yeah. So this is what I've always kind of thought about the the stealing signs thing. Like the thing that they pointed out with Stallions is that they were like, he bought tickets to the game and did that. And I'm like, well, I could do that. And that's all it takes to steal signs is to go there and just watch the coaches. Well, they're standing down there in the field. I mean, theoretically, kind of anybody could do that, and that's not that crazy of a thing. It's, I, I Maybe I'm making excuses for the biggest scandal in college football right now, but I, I, I don't know. I also go, there's tons of teams doing this. I, whoop-de-doo. They got caught, and that's... Yeah, they're I, not I, the only team. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, it's not good for sure. And they were sloppy about it and they were dumb. And this guy, you know, of course, Harbaugh is going to be like, I didn't know anything about it. Right. All right. 
yeah, I'm sure you didn't know a single thing oh, about yeah, that's this. Just like, just right. like uh, that. AJ Hinch didn't know anything about the Astros banging on a trash yeah. can every time a breaking ball was coming or whatever. Oh, I had, I had no. How could I have known? Oh yeah, how could you have known that? You know? If it's this rampant though, I feel like change it up something from game to game. I know it's difficult, and, it. and honestly, really, just give them the helmet. I don't know. There's something like warranties and some other issues with the helmets, but it, it's one helmet, you know, one on one on offense, one on defense for your linebacker, one for your quarterback, and just do it like the NFL. It doesn't seem that difficult to just bring that technology to, to college football, and then there's no issue. It's it's yeah. done, and yeah. Oh yeah, here's a uh, yeah Big Ten Jeff. He's uh, actually no one does this. Well, we'll go with Big Ten uh, Jeff I'm, over the ESPN report that came out with yeah. quotes from all these coaches that say it's rampant in college football. And, and that's not excusing it, whatever. No. I'm just, I mean, I wish they wouldn't. It's pretty known. That's how this stuff came to light. Yeah, he's he's like the, uh, I, I remember talking to Kentucky fans back when uh, every single year Kentucky basketball was getting like the number one recruiting class in America. And they were like, it's Kentucky. We don't have to pay players. We don't do that. Of course you do. <laughs> Everybody does. Every five star wants to get does. paid. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, look, the report came out that Louisville was offering that kid a quarter million dollars and he went to Kentucky. So, you know, maybe what, I wonder what Kentucky maybe tried to pay that kid if he got a quarter million dollar offer from Louisville. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that's that's what you sound like, Jeff, just for reference. Uh, this is the, the in-person scouting. I don't... I would bet that there's others. Again, that's I don't think Michigan is on the cutting edge of of how to, you know, do anything under Jim Harbaugh. I bet he's probably learned about this from somewhere else or he was doing it at Stanford in the NFL. I don't know. I imagine that they're not the only ones that are trying to scout games and they just hit it better, uh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean you got it. They said that the they got guy sloppy, was, like Jeremy Pruitt got sloppy. The guy was buying the tickets in his own name. Come on, dude. At least like Make it your wife's name. Like, get a little bit of effort here. But uh, I don't know. Let's finish up with this. I got to go eat dinner. Um, the prediction for the Kentucky game. That's where we're at. So think about your score there, Zach. Right. Uh, and we'll talk about it right after I tell the folks about Rattle and Snap Tennessee Whiskey. Nothing goes better with a Tennessee sports victory. Hopefully the one that we will be celebrating uh, this weekend after the Kentucky game, then a great whiskey. And I'm talking specifically about Rattle and Snap Tennessee Select Straight Whiskey. Rattle and Snap is a whiskey for those who make their own luck. There's a four-year and eight-year version uh, of Rattle and Snap. I've had both. They are awesome. Great in cocktails. Great neat in a glass. And you can find them, find bottles in stores across the state of Tennessee, but it's also available in Kentucky, Indiana, and Mississippi. Run, don't walk to get yourself some Rattle and Snap Whiskey for those Tennessee sports victories and follow them on Instagram at rattle and snap whiskey, rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey. They came in handy after that Alabama game, boy, oh boy. Um, shout out to them. Rattle and snaps the best. Okay. What do you think, Zach? Tennessee, Kentucky, it's uh, seven o'clock, I believe. Um, it's, is it sec network? I think probably. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to check to make sure, but I'm pretty sure SEC Network, because it's not ESPN, like Fowler's not calling the game like he did last year. Um, I saw the the announcers. Jesse Palmer morning. and somebody. Yeah. I, or 
Jordan. I get those. Jesse Palmer, yeah, not Jordan Rogers. They're they're the same person, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, they're they're the color the color guy. Um whoever it is, um, you know, it's it's not on the main channel. And so, you know, we already talked about kind of the importance of it being a, a night game and what that might mean. Do you think Tennessee will be able to walk into Lexington and get uh a win for the Wildcats? I I mean See, I, I did uh, correctly kind of predict the Alabama game last week. Unfortunately, I had Alabama winning. I did have Tennessee covering, but I thought Alabama would end up winning that game. Not the way that they did, but being right is being right, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm kind of with you when it comes to playing Kentucky. Like, you always just find a way to win this game. The only time you haven't recently was that 2020 season when it was just a disaster, and that was really when the wheels fell off and – we all know kind of that that program was in a, a mess at the time. So I think if Tennessee can keep their intensity that they had in their edge that they had in the first half against Alabama, and I think they will because you kind of heard some of those comments from Elijah Herring, like, you know, we thought we had the game won. And I don't think every player on the field felt that. I do think some did. I think some of the younger players that they're counting on kind of felt that way, like, oh, we got them. You know, they didn't really understood what it took, took to close that game out. I think they probably learned that lesson the hard way because they didn't. They didn't. They weren't really in that position against Florida. They never had a chance to close that game out. They were trying to play catch up after that brutal second quarter. This time they kind of saw what it was like to execute, and, and I think the coaching staff kind of saw, hey, you know, we can't coach like that again. We can't make these dumb fourth down decisions. You know, we got to play field position or call better plays. I think they'll rebound if they don't. I think there's serious calls for concern. You know, the rest of the season, like you said, that Missouri game, that Georgia game, really, you know, they they probably turn into losses after that. Uh, but I think Tennessee will get it done this week. I have them winning 31 to 20. I do too. Um, I'll just say it straight out there. Um, and it's for for everybody watching, uh, drop your comments in there with your predictions, and uh, we'll. We'll read those. We already got a few here. Larry says 24-17 Tennessee. Titans YouTuber says 31-9. to Well, oh, tough couple of days for the Titans. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jones says 33-13. I assume Tennessee is the winner there for Mr. Jones. Uh, and Billy Bob says 35-17 Vols. Um, yeah, my my take, and I at this point, I've said this for years on this show, with the Kentucky game, it's a win for Tennessee until it's not. Uh, it's it's the exact opposite of Florida. And I should have chosen Florida to beat Tennessee in the swamp. What was I thinking? I'm going to do that until it happens. Uh, from now on, fine. I've changed my policy there. Uh, but with this one, you know, it's, it's just across the board. It's a win until it's not, period. I think Tennessee is a better team. I think uh, despite the shortcomings of Joe, I think he he is the, the better quarterback here. I think Tennessee has the better defense, uh, at least the defensive line. Um, and, uh, I think Tennessee will be able to run the ball. Will they be able to throw the ball? Like we were saying and hoping, nah, I'm not so sure, but I'll, I'll say that Tennessee, you know, you, you get like a 250 yard rushing night. Uh, this one, Tennessee's uh, defensive line holds up against uh, the run, uh, with Kentucky for, from Kentucky and, uh, and Tennessee outlasts them. Now I will say, I, I think it's, not going to be a total blowout like last year. Now I, I predicted not a total blowout last year and, and Tennessee really, you know, felt some, some disrespect there clearly and blasted Kentucky. Uh, but I'll, I'll say, uh, 
31-20. What did you say? 31-20. 31-20. So I'll go a little bit different here. I'll say... I mean, that's that's a good score. That's a really good score. 31-20. I'll, I'll just say I'll stick with 31. I'll say 31-24. So you can okay. he gets four more points. Uh, there. So we both have them. We both have Tennessee cover, and I think it's three and a half right now. Yeah. It's it's very close. I mean, the, the road game to me is dicey. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky has lead for a chunk of this game. Oof. They did in 2021. You know, it was very, mm-hmm. very back and forth. Um, kind a lot of, of the games against Kentucky are, and and Tennessee just finds a way. I, I think it was like the great, uh, was it uh, Nigel or Daniel Batuli made that great tackle in one season. Oh, yeah. uh, Alante Taylor with the interception. So, even in those close games, it feels like Tennessee just finds a way. And I think both of those games might have been at Kentucky. I'm not sure. The I think for sure they both were, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. Because I, I think the uh, the Batuli stop, it produced a really great meme of a sad Kentucky fan. It was like mm, a dude with yeah. a beard in the crowd. It was like... Mm. And I think the, the Alante interception might have been one of the sad Will Levis moments. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Oh, man. Yeah, there have been some good ones mm-hmm. with with Levis, who's going to be starting for the Titans this weekend, supposedly. Ooh, what um, emotions you must feel. <laughs> Will Derrick Henry still be on the roster? This Sunday, I think, but uh, by the end of this season, um, I'm actually going to say no. I actually don't think he will be. I think he's he's on the the shelf. Yeah, the return's the not going to be great. Not to get into this too much. The return won't be great for a running back, even Derrick Henry, and if they trade him for a sixth-round pick and a, a whatever, you know, linebacker or something, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough for Titans fans to accept, even if you know what's kind of happening. I mean, I I texted y'all this when the, the Kevin Byard, they, if you don't know, they traded Kevin Byard, who's probably the best defensive player on their team outside of Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I'm just glad that they're finally coming to grips with reality. Just tank. Oh, well, just some of them are. I don't think Mike Vrabel is. <laughs> probably not. But he it's, still thinks they can do something. It is. I said it all the way back in April during the draft. I said, just, just draft your guys now, and then it's tank time in Tennessee. You got a new GM. Just start over. It, it's, it's easier on everybody because it gives Vrabel an excuse to lose in some sense. And he can be like, no, I'll, I'll be a part of the rebuilding process. I think ultimately Vrabel with his incredibly concrete hard head is going to get <laughs> axed. Uh, I, I think eventually he'll, you know, he'll fight it and fight and fight and get fired eventually. But um, yeah, it's over. It's, it's just, I, I hate it because I want the Titans to be really good. And you got so close with the AFC championship game a few years ago, but it's, I mean, it's over just, just fire sale it. And, uh, and let's just start again. It, it would just be the easier thing. Um, but Will Levis, speaking of Levis, I think we'll be starting for the Titans this weekend. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I think there's going to be, if he does not play well, there's going to be a lot of Tennessee fans. Who are they playing? Uh, Who do they play? The uh, Falcons. It's going to, oh. it's going to be a weird weekend because like, let's say per se, per se, Tennessee wins against Kentucky, but then Will Levis plays well. That's a weird couple of days. For Tennessee yeah. fans, but then if Tennessee fans lose or if Tennessee loses and Will Levis is terrible, uh, that's also going to be a weird couple of days. <laughs> Obviously, the ideal outcome for Tennessee fans who, who are not Titans fans, you know, would be Tennessee wins and Will Levis is terrible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> we'll 
yeah, it's going to be a, a strange weekend. And I, I, of course, I'll have the, the Rangers thrown in playing in the first game, first couple of games oh, of the yeah. World Series this weekend. Good weekend, yeah. Yeah, Friday night is the the beginning to see if they can get uh, redemption from 2011, one of the most painful sports experiences of my life. Um, Thank you, David Freeze. I'll never forget <laughs> that one. Um, I, but, I won't either. My kid was like, a week old or two weeks old or something. So I remember watching that late at night as he was a newborn and just being in disbelief. Uh, Fun for me to watch. Cause I had no, you know, no dog in the fight there, but tough for you. I definitely imagine. I mean, for like, ten, maybe Tennessee fans don't know. You're not big baseball people. The Rangers got down to the final strike <laughs> from winning the world series would have won the world series. And a ball gets hit to Nelson Cruz for the final out, and it goes over his head. And he kind of was lazy on the play, if you want my personal opinion. Um, and then David Freeze comes up to bat, takes the walk, you know, walk off. Just please kill me. It was so painful, so terrible. What the final strike? Like think yeah. if the Tennessee baseball team got to the College World Series and got down to the final strike. And then you lose. That's what happened in 2011 to Texas Ranger fans. So, ah, boy, hopefully that does not happen this year. Um, and you better believe that that crossed my mind when Altuve hit that in game five of this ALCS series. Oh, oh yeah. That was trauma all over again. That, that's why I'm ho- hopefully maybe they broke the curse. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. But that's it. It's going to be an interesting sports weekend. But point being, no I'm doubt. Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. For everybody who's watching, tit- Titans YouTuber, Mr. Jones. Is that uh, Jam Master Gaming? Uh, it's a pretty sweet name. Billy Bob. Everybody who's been watching, thank you so much. Oh, here, J- Jason uh, threw in a, a prediction. He said 27-17, Tennessee. Missed that one. Um, but that's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for watching. You guys are the reason that we can do this show. We are incredibly grateful. Seriously. Um, we really appreciate it. Social medias, YouTube, subscribe, notification bell, blah, blah, blah. You know what to do. You're here. That's it. Uh, Yeah, that is it. We will talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.